Have you ever noticed that God created and designed human beings to naturally have a desire to see things grow and develop? Um, you know, maybe a good example would be your kids. So, so you brought your kids into this world. Okay, we don't need to get into how that happened. Um, that's, you know, just too many kids. Okay, but you brought your kids into this world. Um, but after you brought them into this world, you know, you, you didn't just walk away. You had this sort of paternal, internal instinct that God built into you to see that little, that little fragile, beautiful life develop and grow into ultimately an adult, Right? I mean, we parent our kids in hopes that they'll grow up and be um, amazing adults. There's something in us that really likes the idea of cultivation, the idea of developing, the idea of growing something. It's something that God actually stitched into us, and it's a reflection of his nature. Have you ever heard the term imago Dei? We're, we're made in the image of God, okay? Uh, God created us in his nature, and one of the nature-bearing points that we have is that we like to see things develop. Now think about this, okay? Let me go theological on here for a minute. Think about this. God created the earth in process. He didn't create it finished, okay? He created it in process. That's not a result of sin. That's before sin, before the fall, before Genesis 3. God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and what did he tell them to do? He told them to develop the created world, okay? We call it the cultural mandate. It's where God said, go and fill the earth cultivate the earth, and basically be gardeners, be caretakers, um, be caretakers of the animals. He had jobs for them to do. He had progress that was to be made. He created the cosmos. He created the earth in order that it would progress and develop and grow and become something better than it was when he created it. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, we think about developing, sometimes we think because of sin, things are broken, we have to fix them. But actually, all sin aside, God created us to be people that make things better because that's how God is. He stitched into us this idea of, of making something better than it was when we found it. So growing is part of God's creation. But we know that at the fall, things were broken, things were severed, things are not as they should be. But what's so interesting is that when you got saved, when you came to know Christ, you had a new birth. You had new life. A new thing was born in you. Okay? I remember Jesus talking to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. So you were born in your physicality, but then at, at uh, salvation, assuming that you've um, come to know Christ, you were born again. So there's a recreation. The story of redemption and the gospel really is a story of creation and recreation. God created the heavens and the earth, the earth fell, and then God is recreating now a new heavens and a new earth, and that new creation started in you when you got saved. The moment that you said, uh, yes, yeah, so you put your faith in Jesus Christ, a new life, a new spiritual organism was born in you. It's called spiritual life. And so depending on how long you've walked with Christ, some of you have a very young, brand new spiritual life. Some of you have older spiritual life. We're about to baptize some people this week, and for many of those being baptized, that, that spiritual life is still very new. It's still being, it's still being developed. And what's interesting about growth and development um, is everybody understands that, that things don't just grow um, well on their own, okay? So my wife and I bought some houseplants the other day. In fact, I bought her some houseplants for, what was it, for your birthday or something? I don't know, um, some occasion. Uh, and and we, we just, you know, we watered them. And, but even though we're watering them, they're dying. In fact, one, <laughs> one of them already died. One of them already died. And the other one's dying. And we're like, what in the world? Like, we just bought these. They're brand new. Why are they... 
But the reality is, uh, is that they need to be repotted and they need to be fed. They, need, they don't just need water. They need the fertilizer and they need a bigger, they can get, they get rot root and root rot, root rot. You know, they can get all those kinds of things. Um, and if you don't care for them, so even though a plant has life in it and it will grow, if it's not cultivated, if it's not um, developed, if it's not stewarded, it doesn't grow well. And ultimately, it'll end in death. And the same thing is true of our kids, right? I mean, their kids are born and they have an instinct to live. They, their lungs know they should breathe in and breathe out and they know they should eat. They let you know, okay? Uh, there's certain instincts of life, but we as parents, we have to take that very fragile life and we have to cultivate it and, and turn it into a more mature life, a life that's able to take care of itself. The same principle is true of spiritual life. God births spiritual life in you, but it's fragile. It's a baby life. And that life needs to be matured. It needs to be cared for. It needs to be developed. It needs to be cultivated. It needs to be put, it needs to be put in an environment where it can, it can bloom and blossom and flourish, right? Do you think about your spiritual life that way? Do you, or do you just think like I do with plants? Like, well, I bought it, and I put water on it, so why, why wouldn't it just grow? I mean, well, you have to do more than that? <laughs> The Bible brings this up quite a bit. In fact, spiritual maturity, spiritual life, spiritual growth comes up all throughout the New Testament. Listen to a few of these. Colossians 1, 28 says, Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we present everyone mature in Christ. Listen to what he says. For this, the maturity in Christ, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So Paul was hyper-focused as a pastor. He was hyper-focused on on developing a spiritual maturity in the people that he brought into spiritual life, okay? Uh, He saw that as an absolute imperative and as a priority. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12, so put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, and that's not talking to baby Christians. That's just an, it's an analogy that like babies, we should be starving for the purest form of God's truth and spiritual milk so that by it, he says, you may grow up into salvation. So the idea is that Christians were to grow, were to mature, were to develop. Philippians 2.12, therefore my beloved, Paul says, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Grow up into what God has already called you. Grow into the name that he's already given you. Grow into the perfection that he's already granted you. Grow, mature, develop. This is the role of the believer. You've been stewarded with spiritual life and your call is to grow in that. Now this process I'm talking about, it's called quite a few different things, but we're gonna call it two things. Number one is sanctification. Sanctification, that's a big theological word for Christian growth. Christian maturity, sanctification. It comes from the root word sanctify, which is to set apart, okay? To set apart for God's purposes. So we're growing into his purposes. Another thing that it's referred to sometimes is called spiritual formation. You guys ever heard that term? Spiritual formation. So it's the fact that we grow and we are spiritually formed into maturity. Listen to what John Ortberg said about spiritual formation. He said, spiritual formation is for everyone Just as there is an outer you that is being formed and shaped all the time, like it or not, by accident or on purpose, so there is an inner you that 
Uh, you have a spirit. It's constantly being shaped and tugged at by what you hear, watch, say, read, and think and experience. So his point here is that you have a physical body that is growing, developing, but you also have a soul and a spirit now that is growing and developing. Okay, that's just part of, part of life. Now, I don't know about you guys. Part of the reason I did this series is because I feel discouraged. I just feel discouraged sometimes with my lack of spiritual growth. Like, I, I just feel like sometimes I, I feel like I'm not growing. You know, it's like, it's like God, am, is, is anything changing? Am I really, I, I can't see it all the time. And I want to suggest to you, if you're feeling that way, if you're feeling like, I just don't know that I'm growing spiritually, there may be a few possible reasons for that. Here's, here's, here's a few. Number one, it could be that growth is happening in you, but it's happening slowly, which is the way growth typically happens. You ever have a tree in your yard? And you're like, this thing doesn't grow. And then you move away, and then you drive by your old house 10 years later, and it's grown. It was growing all along. It just grows so slowly. It grows so, so slowly that you don't always see it. Okay? Uh, it could be that you're just growing slower than you think. It could be, probably most likely, that you're measuring the wrong thing. That you think you have an idea of what Christian growth looks like, and you're actually wrong. <laughs> you're looking for the wrong thing. So you actually are growing, you just don't see it. Or it could be that you legitimately are not growing. Could be. Because maybe you don't know how. Maybe you haven't been given the tools. Maybe you're like, like, like me with, with plants. Like you don't know <laughs> how to repot the plant. Like you don't know could also be that you don't want to grow. Could very well be that you actually don't want to grow and you're choosing to, to, to live in spiritual adolescence, to be stuck in spiritual adolescence. But I'll tell you one thing, it is never because God has simply refused to woo you or call you into growth. That's simply not true. So the goal in this series of access points is I want to help you guys embrace, including myself, embrace the beautiful process of spiritual maturity. I want us to see that, hey, growing in Christ isn't a terrible thing. It's not just a, a, a boorous thing. It's actually an exciting thing because God has planted his spiritual life in your soul. And we have the, the privilege of reflecting his nature by cultivating that spiritual life and growing it to maturity. That's exciting. I want to excite you for that process. I want to engage you in that process. Dallas Willard said, you really can't justify anything else but giving your whole attention to spiritual formation in Christ. There is nothing higher to set your affection and your attention on than forming your spiritual life to look more like Christ, is what he's saying. So that's the goal for the series, but what's my goal for today? My goal for today um, is first, I need to set the table for this, okay? Here's, here's the problem. There's a real tension with spiritual disciplines where we can super easy start being very religious. Because I can sit up here and be like, you guys need to pray. You guys need to read your Bible. You guys need to worship. You guys need to fast. You guys need to give. You guys need to be generous. You guys blah, 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 blah. And those are all true. And then you can walk out of here and you, all you've done is just sat under religion, which is you need to go do, you need to go do, you need to go do. So what I want to do this morning is I don't want to just, uh, before I start giving you the, the practical direction, I want to give you the power to fulfill the practical direction. So I can build a train track and I can put the train car on the train track and that's all great, but if you don't have power in the engine, you're not going anywhere. And the difference between religion and Christianity is what your source of power is in your spiritual development. Is it your works or is it God's grace? So 
Two things I'm gonna do this morning. First, I wanna connect you to the right definition of spiritual maturity. I want you to think rightly about what it means to be spiritually mature so that you're measuring the right metrics. And then after I do that, I want to give you the power source of spiritual maturity. I want you to know how you can grow through these practical things so that when we get into the practical things, you don't have burden of another thing that you're failing at. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. I wanna try to help you understand the definition of spiritual maturity. The definition of spiritual maturity. And the way we're gonna do that is I'm gonna give you five statements and I want you to think whether they're true or false. Okay, five statements about spiritual maturity. I want you to think critically, are they true or false? They'll be up on the screen, they're on your handout, and so here we go. The first one is this. Spiritual maturity comes without any effort or work on our part. What do you think? True or false? False. False. I used to think that was true because I had such a high view of God's sovereignty, which we should, and it's such a high view of God's grace, which we should, that I assumed that because grace was a free gift, unmerited, and because God is sovereign over all, that I really didn't need to do anything to grow. That I just, God will do it. Now, there's some truth to that. He will do it. But this is absolutely false. Spiritual maturity does not come without any effort or work on our part. We're saved apart from works, but we're sanctified partly through our works. Did you know that? Did you know that? That means the implications of that is that you could sit in diapers for 30 years spiritually, and that's totally up to you. Now, God's a good and gracious father, and sometimes... Like, I remember our, our kids, you know, at some point we just said, hey, you're not getting diapers anymore. Okay? And there's like something in you that's like, oh, they're going to poop on the floor. We're going to have to clean it up. But at some point, do I want a 14-year-old who's still pooping in a diaper? No, I don't. I want a 14-year-old that poops in the toilet, right? So at some point, as a good father, you might take the diaper off. And God does that sometimes. He has a good way of prodding us towards spiritual maturity. But in reality, he also gives us the choice. Do we want to grow spiritually? Do we want to grow spiritually or do we want to stay in spiritual immaturity? And why does this matter? It matters because if you don't see that you have a part to play in your spiritual maturity, you won't play the part. It's like showing up to a play and nobody told you you were in it. <laughs> You're like watching it and they're like, now for our leading role. And everyone's looking around and they're like, that's you. Like, okay, so you need to know you have a part to play in your sanctification. Here's another one. Tell me if this is true or false. Spiritual maturity can be measured by years spent as a Christian. True or false? False. I used to think that was true. I used to think that if you walk with God X amount of years, your spiritual maturity equaled X amount of maturity. Man, that guy's been a Christian for 30 years. He must be really mature. Eh. Absolutely not true. Absolutely. Because, again, our first point, because we can choose to stay in spiritual immaturity if we want to. I know some believers that have been walking with Christ for 40 years. They're still addicted to particular areas of sin. They have no freedom in that area. They're still completely immature, completely stuck. And it's largely because they've just decided to stay immature. And don't get me wrong, a true branch will bear true fruit, but we decide how much we want to have to get pruned. Okay? Number three. Spiritual maturity can be measured by charisma, giftedness, effective ministry, and the ability to feel God. 
What do you think? This is a tricky one. False. It's false. Now, those are all good things, but this is the way the majority of Christians think. They see the guy on stage who preaches the Bible, and, and he's, he's very outgoing, and he just has, seems to have this exuberant love for the Lord. He's very gifted and effective in ministry, and, and all that. Like, that must be the most mature guy in the room. No. And you have to understand that that's not always true. Because what will happen is you'll, you'll worship the guy up in the stage and think, well, that's the guy who's mature. And then you'll find out he was cheating on his wife for five years. And it wrecks your faith. Because you thought, I thought he was mature. I thought that was spiritual maturity. Okay, spiritual maturity is not only measured by giftedness, by effective ministry, and by charisma. That's exactly what Paul was writing against in 1 Corinthians. He says, it's not all about the flashy gifts, guys. It's not all about tongues. It's actually about the gifts that edify the body. And nine times out of ten, the most mature person is not always the one out in front. It's the one that nobody sees because they've developed a humility. Now, I'm very aware of that. And so what I have to do is I have to make sure that I don't assume because God's using me or because God has given me a platform that that automatically means I'm mature. It doesn't. It doesn't. You can live in spiritual immaturity and be used by God for years. It's actually quite frightening. Because I think a lot of guys think, well, man, I mean, if, if I'm not spiritually mature, God's just going to kick me out. Well, at some point, but he may use you. You may have a Saul thing going on. Or your heart's wrong, but God's still using you. I mean, it's, it's terrifying to think about. How many of you guys have questioned the validity of your faith because you thought you were more mature when you were saved than you are now? Let's be honest. Have you ever felt that way? Man, I, when I first got saved, I was on fire. I was excited. I was sharing the, the gospel. I, I felt the Lord. And now I've been, I've been saved for 10 years, and it's like I, it's hard to read my Bible in the morning. And, and then you kind of go, well, maybe I'm not even saved. I hear that all the time. I think that all the time. I had some insight given to me this week as I was listening to a, a lecture. I can't remember the guy's name that I was listening to, but he was, he was pointing out that this, this concept is actually something that the church fathers and the church writers and church historians and theologians have wrestled with for hundreds of years. And what they really kind of, Augustine particularly was the one that kind of came to some conclusions about that. And the conclusion they came to is that that can't possibly mean that you're less mature if you feel the Lord less. It can't possibly mean that. Because almost every Christian feels a sense of that. And here's what they concluded. They concluded um, that as Christians, when we're first saved, God knows that our immaturity is only interested in what makes us feel good. So they, God gives us what he calls the bottle. <laughs> the bottle of feeling. You first get saved, like, oh, I love church, I love Jesus, my Bible, every word is so exciting. And, okay, that's because you are very obsessed with senses in that moment. It's a very immature thing to do. You only want to do something if it feels good. If it doesn't feel good, you don't want to do it. But what God is trying to do is he's trying to wean you off of the bottle so that you can be a mature spiritual believer. And the way he wants to do that is to slowly take the bottle away. That doesn't mean he doesn't want you to delight in him. That doesn't mean he doesn't want you to enjoy him. But what it means is he wants you to love him for him, not for what he does for you. Does that make sense? So what he's trying to teach us to do is to trust him even when we don't feel like trusting him. To open his word even when we don't feel like we're going to get something from the word. Because that's what mature believer does. He opens the word, she opens the word because we know we need it like we need air. Because we want to delight in God himself, not just in the feeling we get from whatever said experience. And people chase the feeling, you know that? I just want to feel God the way I felt God before. 
Well, in some sense, I think we should desire that feeling, but if we chase the feeling, what we'll do is we'll end up worshiping feelings instead of worshiping God. We need to be rooted in something beyond our feelings because God is trying to mature us out of the bottle. And why does that matter? It matters because if you think maturity is, uh, if you think maturity means I feel God's presence more, um, then you'll think that God's ultimate objective is about you feeling good. And it's not. It's not. If you see maturity as being effective in ministry, you'll overlook character every time. And ministries do it all the time. Some young guy walks in, just got saved, 18 years old, really gifted with a guitar. They're like, get up there, man. Never, ever dealing with character. Never, ever dealing with depth. Never, ever dealing with maturity. Okay? And if you think that giftedness is what makes you mature, you're going to hurt a lot of people. If you see maturity as giftedness, then you'll pursue gifts instead of the Lord. And that's what Paul was trying to write against to the Corinthian church. Here's another one. Spiritual maturity means, or pardon me, spiritual maturity is freedom from stress, sadness, and temptation. What do you think? False. You're starting to think at this point, are these all false? I don't know. We'll wait and see. There's one more. Spiritual maturity is freedom from stress, sadness, and temptation. That sounds really great if you're believing in uh, Eastern religion. Because that's basically what Eastern religion tells you. That you can develop yourself spiritually to a point where you no longer have to deal with the burdens of the physical things. That's all really great until you open the New Testament and realize that Jesus, who was the ultimate human being, the ultimate mature Christian, the ultimate believer, still had anxiety, still had stress, and still had temptation. Jesus standing at the tomb of one of his best friends, watching his other best friends, weeping and crying, knowing that his best friend is dead. Even though he knows he's going to raise him, what does he do? He weeps. Jesus cresting the hill and sees Jerusalem glistening down there and, uh, and, and down in the valley, and he, and he knows that as he rolls into town, they're going to worship him as Messiah, but then a few days later, they're going to crucify him. His city is going to reject him. What does he do? He weeps bitterly. Is that because he was sinful? Anybody? No! It's not because he was sinful. Jesus, after getting baptized, gets driven into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Does that mean he was sinful? He had, he had temptation? No. Those things are what make us human. Humanity gets tired. That's not all because of sin. That's not all because of the fall. There are parts of being human that actually reflect God's nature and God is perfect. Did you know God feels? Did you know God gets sad? Jesus felt anxiety. I mean, tell me he wasn't feeling anxiety when he was sweating drops of blood before he was going to the cross? You think that was sinful? No. Spiritual maturity, listen to me, spiritual maturity is not the absence of feeling, the absence of stress, the absence of temptation. Spiritual maturity is the harnessing of those things for the glory of God. And that's what Jesus did. We need to understand that we have roots in our culture, especially Christianity, in what is called platonic dualism. If you really want to sound smart, just drop that. Like you're just being a platonic dualist. You got to do that when you're done. Stupid. Okay. It's Platonic dualism. Plato had this idea that spiritual things, which is the unseen, the immaterial, spiritual things were good, and material things seemed to be bad. Okay? So the Greek mindset was that to be the most like God was to be the least physical. 
The gods were transcendent of the physical dimension. So uh, growing and transforming as a person was about leaving the boundaries of the physical dimension and living into the spiritual, immaterial dimension. Now, Christianity, unfortunately, has wrestled with this for a long time. The Gnostics in the first century, uh, they, they believed a similar kind of idea. And present-day current Christians, I think they think the same thing. And here's the logic. It's very, it makes sense, okay? God is immaterial. He's spirit. Heaven seems to be spirit. Earth seems to hurt. It seems to be broken. There's sin. Decay. So, seems like physical stuff is evil and spiritual stuff is good. Material things are evil and immaterial things are good. So, it makes sense, therefore, that we should try to grow out of the physical and into the immaterial. That's not true. That's not true. Spiritual maturity is not about being more removed from physical things. Spiritual maturity is about conformity, listen, conformity to the rule of Christ in every dimension physical and immaterial. That is spiritual maturity. Jesus was spiritually mature as, a fully, as fully God, fully man, as fully human, fully divine. He was spiritually mature because he allowed the rule of the Father to dominate his decisions in every aspect of his life. That's spiritual maturity. Jesus prays, remember the Lord's Prayer? He says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's spiritual maturity. Your kingdom come and be done, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Spiritual maturity is further allowing the rule and the will and the mind of God to be fulfilled in your life in every single second, every single part of every day. Physical, unphysical, doesn't matter. God created both dimensions. He created the physical and the unphysical, and his goal is to unite both under his rule forever. That's called the kingdom, the kingdom of God, okay? Colossians 1, 9, and 10, so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Listen to what Paul prays for the Colossians. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom. What's he saying there? He's not using spiritual to mean immaterial. That's not what he means by spiritual. Spiritual meaning under the rule of Christ. He's praying that they would have the knowledge of God's will in every area of their life. Dallas Willard said spiritual formation for the Christian basically refers to the spirit-driven process of forming inner, the inner world of the human self in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. We're becoming like Christ. He goes on, he says, spiritual formation in Christ moves us toward a total interchange of our ideas and images for his. Paul said it like this in Romans chapter 12, you know this. Be not conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, spiritual maturation is not about escaping physical things or living into spiritual things. It's about God's rule being manifested in your mind and ultimately in your life. Which means spiritual people ask questions like this. What does God think? Spiritual isn't the person that goes, I just feel the Lord right now. That just means nothing. Okay? That's, that's sensuality. That's immateriality. Spirituality is the person that says, God, what do you want of me? What do you want of this church? What do you want us to do? What is your will? That's spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity is submitted under God's desires over your own. That's spiritual maturity. 
The name of this series is Access Points. The reason we're calling it Access Points is because we want to access spiritual maturity. The way we access spiritual maturity is coming into alignment with his truth. Think of it like this. When you connect to Wi-Fi, you do it through what? Through an access point. And what you're doing when you connect to Wi-Fi, and I'm not a computer scientist, okay, by any stretch, but your computer is speaking a language that the internet and everyone else's computer is speaking, and it allows the two to be pulled in to one connection. What makes it connected is that they're all speaking the same language. That's what coding is. And, and, and certain letters and certain symbols and certain dashes um, are sent out and received on the other end and turned into words and pictures and things like that. So when we are accessing spiritual maturity, we are stepping into the internet of God's will. We're saying, I'm going to play by his rules. Think about it this way, if that's not, if that's not clear for you. Think about the freeway. You have an on-ramp. That's an access point. It's an access point to the freeway. But the freeway only works if you're driving the right direction right? Driving the wrong direction, it's going to go bad. The freeway is an access point to merge into the the similar direction of the freeway. And in the same way, spiritual maturity is merging, accessing into God's ultimate truth and will. Now, we can take off ramps, and we do it all the time, don't we? But what the spiritual disciplines are, the things we're going to talk about over the next six weeks, what the spiritual disciplines are is they are on ramps back into the mind and the will and the thinking of Christ. Like prayer. Prayer is perfect. Example, when you pray, have you ever noticed that you start to feel like you're in line with God's heart and mind? You might be over here before you start praying, and as you're praying, you're starting to notice your heart and mind just come into alignment with God's heart and mind. You start thinking more like him. You start feeling more like him, acting more like him. It's because prayer is an access point into his ultimate will. That's spiritual maturity. And the goal is, is that as we grow as Christians, we become increasingly more and more and more in line with his will, his mind, his work. So I hopefully defined a little bit what spiritual maturity is. So if we can define spiritual maturity as submission, reflection, conformity to the will of God in every area, then the question now becomes, how do we do that? Okay, how do we do that? And like I said earlier, over the next five weeks, we're going to give you the practicals, prayer, thankfulness, meditation, spiritual disciplines. Those are great. But what I want to do the rest of my time is I want to lead you not only in the practices, but in the source of the power to accomplish the practices, okay? It's very important that we get that right because the line between religion and the gospel when it comes to these things is very small. We need to understand that. The difference between Christianity and unchristian religion, practically, is not what we do. It's what the, the power source that what we do is rooted in. Let me explain. Um, Eastern religion, they do a lot of the same things we do. Meditation, prayer, um, fasting. Islam, they do a lot of the same things we do, don't they? Prayer, fasting, teaching, meditation, and, and, and that's why a lot of people um, ignorantly look at all the religions and they go, yeah, no, they're, they're all basically the same because we're all basically doing the same things, right? We're all praying, you know, so ba- we're probably all just praying to the same God. The difference is not in the practice, the thing you're doing. The difference is why you're doing it and what you're drawing on to do it with. That's the key difference. So I want to suggest a verse to you. That's why I want you to open your Bibles. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 17. I want to suggest a verse to you that I think unlocks the question of what should we root our spiritual disciplines in? 
2 Peter chapter 3. This is one of my favorite verses. Peter, the apostle, is writing the last letter, really the last thing we'll ever hear from him. I love the last words of people. By the way, if you ever Google something interesting, Google famous people's last words, okay? And see, the, the last thing they said on their deathbed. And, and typically when someone says something, it's the last words they ever say, it, it sort of carries a, a bit of weight to it. These are Peter's last words. The Apostle Peter's last words. And this is not young, charismatic, foot-in-mouth Peter. This is seasoned, mature, beat-up, um, you know, humbled Apostle Peter. An older man now, having walked with Christ for some years, he sits down over a parchment and he writes encouragement, pastoral encouragement to believers, and he chooses to end his epistle with these words. Verse 17 of chapter 3. He says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. And here's what I want you to cue in on. But, so instead of losing stability, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. That phrase, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's as though Peter is, is trying to summarize the spiritual process of maturity into one, into one sentence. He's saying, if you're just going to focus on one thing, focus on growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, it's not so much um, about just being a plant and being potted. It's about your roots being sunk into the grace of God. But what does he mean by that, grow in grace? That's an interesting statement. Does he mean grow in graciousness? I don't think so. I think if he meant that, he would have said, grow in graciousness, and he didn't say that. Does he mean grow in God's grace towards you? In other words, like we can merit more grace? We know that's theologically not accurate. So what he must mean is that we are to grow in an understanding and in a belief of God's grace. That spiritual maturity is not about how gifted we are, effective we are, or charismatic we are, how much feelings we have um, from the Lord, but in fact, spiritual maturity is about how much we have grown in the grace of God. Now, the words grow in grace, I want to break them down for you into four things, and we'll end with this. Growing in grace means four things regarding our process of spiritual maturity. There's four things that I think Peter means here by growing grace. Number one, it means that grace is the means of spiritual maturation. Okay, grace is the means. This is really important because you're gonna walk out of here after these teachings and you're gonna go, man, Sam gave me another thing to do. I already suck at all the other things Sam gave me to do. I got like a list, if you're a list maker, I got a list of things that I was going to work on, and I just, I'm already failing it on those, and now Sam's giving me more things to do, and I don't even want to open my Bible this morning, because if I open my Bible, I'm going to find another thing to do, and I'm going to fail at it, 
And then I'm going to feel guilty and condemned, and I'm not going to want to pray because I'm going to feel like God just disappointed in me. He's so frustrated and annoyed with me. He should have picked somebody else. So I'm just not going to pray today. I'm just going to watch Netflix instead. Not speaking from experience at all in any way. Okay. The difference is what, are the, what is the means of spiritual maturation? And as human beings, listen to me, you are hardwired to try to do it yourself. You just are. Everything in you wants to be the source of your sanctification. Everything in you wants to be your own savior. Everything in you wants to just work harder. You hear a sermon, you go, yeah, that's true. I should be doing that. And then you instantly go, I'll do that. I'll get it right this time. I'll stop sinning. I'll start being more generous. I'll start loving. And you just, you're going to fail. And you're going to fail and you're going to fail and you're going to fail. And at some point, what Satan wants you to do is you're going to give up and you're going to stop trying. The problem is not the disciplines. The problem is not the call to do certain Christian things. The problem is what you're rooted in when you try to do those. The problem is the engine. You're trying to run on your own power rather than the grace of God. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Every other religion tells you to do spiritual things. It tells you to be generous. It tells you to pray. It tells you to worship. But the difference is, is that doesn't give you the power to do it because it tells you that you need to do it yourself. And we can't do it ourselves. The problem is we think about grace. Okay, when I say the word grace, let's do a little experiment. What's the first thing you think of? You think of saving grace. God's grace means he saved me from sin. He paid my penalty. God's grace is much more dimensional than that. It's multifaceted. There is many dimensions to God's grace. There is God's saving grace, certainly, that God was so gracious that he would pour out his wrath on the son rather than you so that you could be forgiven. That's a dimension of God's grace. But there's more dimensions to God's grace. There is also something called sanctifying grace. The grace that God gives you in order to form you into spiritual maturity. And sanctifying grace means that ultimately he's really the one doing the work. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't that exciting? that it's grace that actually is the means for our spiritual maturity. God also has sustaining grace. The grace when you literally feel like you cannot pray, you, everything in you wants to run from the Lord and he reaches out graciously and sustains you. That's sustaining grace. To be a Christian is to live out of the means of the grace of God. And anything other than that is religion. And so if you're tired from spiritual practices, it's not because of the spiritual practices. It's because you're doing it out of the wrong source. You're doing it out of your own strength. God has called the believer to drink out of the reservoir of his grace. So we have chickens, right? And our chicken water thing, dispenser, it's a big bucket. And underneath the bucket, I, I wanna call them nipples, but I know that's not the right thing to call them. What do you, they're just like the, anybody, anything? Okay, I'm not gonna call them that. Um, they're just these little nipple things that dispense the water. I just ruined this analogy. All you can think about now is I just said nipples. Okay, they dispense the water to the chicken, but only when they come up and grab it. Now the water is fully there, it's fully theirs. It's all there. The bucket of water is fully in the chicken coops. They're water. But it takes an act for them to come up and actually take of that water. I'm not talking about saving grace, by the way. I'm talking about sanctifying grace. 
that if you want to grow, if you want to mature, if you want to drink from the living water, what did Jesus say? I am the living water. Anyone's thirsty, come and drink. The reservoir of his grace is eternal. It's full, but you have to come drink from it. Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Think about that. All spiritual resources are, your, are yours, but only if you come drink them. Your, your, your forgiveness is fully accredited. That's done. You can't be any more forgiven than you already are. You can't get any more favor than you already have. God can't love you more than he possibly, than he already does. But the sanctifying grace of God is available to you if you come and get it. And my encouragement to you is to go get it. That's not a religious work. That's a belief. That's saying, God, I choose to believe that you are good. Jesus said, come unto me, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. That wasn't a call to never be disciplined. That wasn't a call to work for Christ. That was a call to wear the right yoke. And if, if following Jesus is exhausting to you, it could be that you're wearing the wrong yoke. Jesus said, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. In other words, you're a branch, connect to my life source. I am the life source. Without me, you don't have any life. So religious practices without Jesus is dead. It's dead. So you can sit and meditate on your yoga mat all day long. At the end of the day, that's dead. There's no life. It's only when you abide in the vine that there is life. So let me give you a test for living out of the means of grace. I want you to figure this out. Are you living out of God's grace or are you living out of your own work? Ask yourself this. When you're doing good spiritually, when you're nailing it, doing devotions, praying with your wife before you go to bed, praying before meals, okay, when you're nailing it, do you assume it's because of your decisions? Or do you go, wow, God, thank you for being gracious. Thank you for your grace. If you're assuming it's what you're doing that's allowing you to have that life, then you might be off. When you're doing poorly, do you assume it's because of your decisions? Okay? When you feel you're failing, is your compulsion to just try harder or is your compulsion to cry out in utter dependence to God and say, Lord, I need your grace because I can't seem to make myself change? What is your initial reaction? So not only is grace the means of spiritual maturation, secondly, grace is also the mark of spiritual maturation. It's the mark. In other words, it's how we know whether we're spiritually mature or not. Spiritual maturity is not gauged, as we already discussed, it's not gauged by effectiveness, charisma, all those things. It's gauged by our depth of belief and reliance on the grace of God. The most spiritually mature person in the room is usually the most humble because they are the most aware of their need for the grace of God. And that's why they go unnoticed. That's why when people want to be discipled, they look for the loudest person in the room. But in reality, the most mature person in the room sometimes tends to be the least loud one in the room because they're humble. Not always, but, but a lot of time. It's the deacon behind the wheel, ch wheel chart cart that's, that's setting up chairs. 
that, that a lot of times is one of the most, now they may not be the most eloquent, they may not be the most easy person to, to understand what they're saying, but their, their maturity is deep because it's rooted in God's grace, not in their own ability. John the Baptist was one of these guys. Remember what he said? I must decrease that he may increase. Spiritual maturity is about decreasing decreasing our self and our self-reliance and our self-strength and increasing in our reliance on him. True humility, true thankfulness, and deep abiding faith are the greatest signs that one has grown in grace. You know, you know I know, one of the, one of the, we'll talk about this more uh, in the next few weeks, but you know one of the main signs I know that I'm being spiritually immature? Entitlement. Entitlement. Something doesn't go my way, and I'm like, I deserve that. That's not spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity says, I don't deserve anything. The antidote, the antidote to spiritual maturity and, and entitlement is thankfulness. God, it's just all grace. I just don't deserve anything. It's all grace. It's not independence, but increasing dependence on God's grace. Number three, grace is not only the means, the mark, but it's also the motivation. It's our motivation for spiritual maturation. You know this verse, Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The engine of our growth and maturity is not that we do something, it's that God has done something. Okay, spiritual maturity starts not with do, it starts with done. The gospel is done, finished, and that motivates us it's the upside-down economics of the kingdom of God. In what dimension do you say, hey, I'll pay you first, and then you go do a good job? It doesn't work like that. It's not, that's, not, that's not capitalistic. You do a good job, and then I'll tip you. That's the way we think. But in God's economy, he says, no, I'm going to credit all righteousness to you, and you're going to be so overwhelmed by that grace that it's going to drive you to spiritual maturity. That's how the gospel works. Number four, lastly, grace is also the meaning of spiritual maturation. It's the meaning. In other words, it's the whole reason that God has us grow. Remember in the beginning I was talking about how God um, created humans to want to grow things, cultivate things? Remember that? Why did he do that? In fact, let's get, let's get more cosmic. <laughs> Have you ever wondered why God didn't just drop a perfect world into existence? Why did he drop the raw material of an uncultivated world? Why did he, let's go deeper. Why did God allow sin? Why did God allow the fall? Why didn't God just take the new heavens and the new earth and instantly plop it into the cosmos? Could he have done that? Certainly could have done that. Why did God allow all of this? It's kind of the question, isn't it? Why did God allow Adam and Eve to, to fall? Why did God allow, you know, all of this brokenness? And why do I have to mature? Why can't I just get saved and then instantly be mature? Couldn't God just import mature Christian Sam in? Like, I get saved, and all of a sudden, I'm like, I got it all together. Or couldn't he just take us straight to heaven? Like, why do we stay here? Why are we doing this? Why do I have to wallow in my immaturity? Like, why, why do I have to just, just keep struggling to grow? Why can't God just make me mature? Just wave your wand, snap your finger, you got the sovereignty, make it happen. Why? I think Ephesians chapter 3 tells us the answer to that question. And I think it's grace. I think the answer is grace. Ephesians chapter 3. Turn there. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. All, all in here. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. 
Paul says this, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Wasn't Paul's words just like saturated in grace? I mean, everything he did, my ministry is according to the grace of God. It's all grace, 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 grace. That's why there's so many churches called grace. Which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, oh, there's some maturity. You hear that maturity coming out in the Apostle Paul? I'm the least of the saints. I mean, Paul was so aware of the fact that he was a social terrorist. He killed Christians. He knew he didn't deserve grace. He was humble. He said, it was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan. Oh, this is interesting. The plan. We're going to talk about the plan. What is the plan? Why is God allowing us to, to have to be spiritually mature and grow? Here it is. The plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Oh, why did he create all things? Let's find out. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That is an intriguing verse. What if God allowed, everything that God has allowed, simply for the purpose to reveal a dimension of his nature that had never before been understood or experienced. Angels, they don't understand the grace of God. Flip back one page, Ephesians chapter one, verse five. I think we get a little more clarity. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Okay, well, what is it? What's the purpose of his will? Why is he doing all this? To the praise of his glorious grace. Could it be that everything God has allowed, could it be that the, the whole adventure of spiritual maturity that you're in right now, the tension of having to grow up, the tension of having to, to root yourself in the Lord and, and mature, could it be that all of this brokenness and everything is all for the purpose of God putting on display his grace? Now, you may not think that's fair, but it doesn't really matter. What if God has a dimension of himself that he wants to share? And that dimension is his grace. And the way that he can share his grace is for there to be a need for forgiveness. It doesn't relieve us from, I know this opens up a can of worms and we have some good conversations after, and the, after this. But here's my point stated hopefully clearly. If the entire purpose behind creation, if everything was created for the purpose uh, in salvation and sanctification, all of it was to glorify God's grace, then if you spiritually mature by any other means than God's grace, then it's pointless. Does that make sense? If everything God has allowed in the universe, including your sanctification, salvation, everything, if all of it is for the single purpose of glorifying his grace to the cosmos, then if you are growing out of your own works, then it is not in line with God's ultimate purposes which means the most important thing I can get you guys to think as we look at the spiritual disciplines is not how do I do the disciplines, it's why do I do the disciplines? How do I do the disciplines? Why do I do them? We don't do them so that we can become Jedi Knight Christians that walk around and just can prophesy and speak in tongues and do all these things because we're so mature. No, we do them because we are to glorify the grace of God and oftentimes it's in our weaknesses and in our failings that we glorify the grace of God the most, not in our giftedness. It's where we're weak that we glorify God. The most important thing you guys can do 
in pursuing spiritual maturity, which I hope you will, is to root the source of that maturing in the grace of God because all things, I believe, exist and were created to glorify God in his grace. Now, for any of you that are, that are thinking, you know, that's really unfair. Isn't that kind of a jerk move by God? Create everything that's happened just so he can show off his grace? Well, it's only a jerk move if you think there's anything else in the universe that could satisfy you more than God himself. If you think that God would have been more loving to give you anything other than his own grace, then yeah, it's wrong. But if the ultimate value in the universe is sharing his own grace with the universe, then it's worth it. Just thoughts. So for the next five weeks, we're gonna be looking at practical access points. And, and as we look at those access points, I just hope you'll remember this. So you'll remember the fact that we are to root these in the grace of God. Would you guys stand with me and let's pray and we'll close. Father, in, in heaven, we thank you so much. We thank you so much that we can drink from the reservoir of your grace daily. That we can come to you we can walk in the works that you have set before us to walk in. Lord, that you've already given us everything we need for life and godliness. That we are going to grow up into the salvation that's already been given to us. What exciting truths. How exciting it is to be part of your new creation, to be part of a recreation, to be able to grow up as spiritual infants into spiritual maturity. And God, we pray that we would for your glory. We pray that we would be spiritually mature rooted and dependent on your grace in every way, that, Lord, your grace might be on display for all the heavens. So, Father, be with us in this, this series. Be with us in this turbulent time. We need just favor right now, Lord. It's just such a hard time. We know you're gonna work in it, and we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.